I don't know if you've ever heard of a man called Tony Campolo. He's actually a writer and a great writer. He's a pastor. He's um, an evangelist. He loves to tell people about the power of Jesus to change lives. And uh, he wrote a book called The Kingdom of Heaven is a Party. The Kingdom of God, sorry. The Kingdom of God is a Party. And um, interesting book. And in this book, he tells his story about when he was traveling, he went to Honolulu. And um, in Honolulu, they arrived early hours of the morning. They were hungry, so they were sort of looking for somewhere to eat and unwittingly ended up in a rather seedy part of town and uh, at a bar trying to get some food. It was about 3.30 a.m. And uh, as they did arrive there, there were a group of girls um, who were, were just finishing their work for the night And um, you can imagine what that work was. And so he heard them talking and he heard one of the girls say, oh, it's my birthday tomorrow. And one of the other girls said, well, so what? What, do you want me to sing your happy birthday and throw a party or something? She was a bit taken aback by that. And she said, no, look, I was just letting you know. She said, I wouldn't expect you to do that. No one's ever given me a birthday party in my life, so why should you? And his heart was really touched by that. This young girl... No one had ever celebrated her. No one had ever loved her enough to celebrate who she is. And so he went to the, and he thought to himself, I'm going to throw her a party tomorrow night. And so he went to the bartender and he said, I want to throw a party tomorrow night at 3.30 in the morning. I want to set it up and then would you be able to help out? And he said, look, I could get the cake for you. And so that's what happened. He went in there about 2.30, he decorated the bar he had it all set up. They had the cake there. And when the girl walked in, they, he'd organised for all the people who were there in the bar at that time of the morning to sing happy birthday. And uh, the girl was just taken aback. And tears were streaming down her face. And he said, can I pray for you? And so there in the bar at 3.30 in the morning, he thanked God for this, for this girl. He thanked God for her life and he prayed blessing over her. And she went away moved by that experience. And afterwards the bartender said to him, I didn't know you were a preacher. He said, what church do you come from? And he said, I come from a church that throws parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. And he said, nah, no you don't. He said, there's not a church like that in the world. Because if there was, I'd join it. You see, God calls us to love people. Who? Everyone. Doesn't matter who they are. Doesn't matter where it is. He calls us to truly love people. And you can say that you love people, but I think that it's more than just saying it. And there's a lot of stories in the Bible that teach us about loving people. In fact, Jesus, God gave us, sorry, Jesus gave us a new commandment. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your energy and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, they'd been brought up, the Jews had been brought up with the Ten Commandments and Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor. So who is your neighbor? Who is my neighbour that God's calling me to love? Well, there's a great story in the New Testament and maybe 
you know it very well, maybe you don't. The story is called The Good Samaritan. And this, re- this story really helps us to answer this question, who is my neighbour? And so let's look at, in the, um, at the Bible in Luke 10, verse 30. And uh, it'll be on the screens or in the Bible if you want to follow along. A Jewish man was travelling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, some versions call a Levite, walked over and looked at him lying there. But he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. So here we have two opposite responses to human need. And sadly, the negative response came from the religious leaders. The priest and the temple assistant or the Levite. The priest actually literally went out of his way by crossing the road to pass by. The Levite looks, sees the need, then crosses over and passes by. But it was the Samaritan, and I'll talk a little bit more about who the Samaritan is, the Samaritan who stopped, who loved, who healed, who gave, and even goes the extra mile and says, whatever else is needed, take it from my account. So let's look at the parable in a little more detail. At the surface value, basically we see what the parable is saying, whoever needs help, help them. That's basically what it's saying at the surface level. But I think there's a deeper meaning than this. I mean, if we all did that, that would change the world, wouldn't it? If we all helped whoever needed help, that would change the world. But the deeper layer that Jesus is really saying to us here is... As it goes on in the scripture, it says, Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbour to the man who was attacked by by bandits? The man replied, The one who showed him mercy. So the deeper meaning about who is my neighbour is what Jesus is trying to, to speak to us about. He's trying to help us to understand the who part of this. We can feel compassion... But then what do we do about it? So it's about who is my neighbour and am I willing to do something about someone in need, anyone in need? But let's understand the context of this story first because it's really important to understand this to help us to understand who is our neighbour. You see, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. And this had gone on for many, many years. In fact, it had gone on from the time when they believed, the Jews believed and the Samaritan believed that they were the inheritors of the promise from Abraham and Moses. They also believed that they were the rightful possessors of the land. 
And you know today, even today, few Israelis will travel from Galilee to Jerusalem by the direct route because it will take them through the West Bank. And if they go there, they risk violence, just like the travellers in the parable that we heard about. So the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was notorious for the danger that it held because it was this road that went for over a thousand, sorry, over 30 kilometres and in that time it dropped over 1,000 metres. So it was very narrow and rocky and it was easy for robbers to hide out so that they could attack people and many people were left for dead on that road. It was called, in fact, the Bloody Way because of the danger of the road and so many people hurt there. So we've got this particular setting with Jews and Samaritans hating each other. We've got this dangerous place to pass. And then we've got some people. We've got the traveller. I mean, he was a bit foolhardy, wasn't he? Travelling that road by himself. I mean, most people who travelled that road would go in a group, in a caravan, and they would make sure that they were ready for any attacks. So they were together and they would help each other out. But he was foolhardy. He went by himself. He was asking for danger. Then we have the two priests, or the priest and the Levite, temple assistant. It's interesting that those two people are part of the story because surely we would expect they would be the ones that would help. They were the ones who were the religious people. They were the ones who knew about God and his love. Surely they would be the ones to help. And then we have this Samaritan, an enemy of the Jews, Yet, the love of God was in his heart. And he was filled with compassion. And he didn't just feel it, he acted upon it. And he helped the man by cleaning his wound as best he could, putting him on his donkey and taking him to the inn. He paid himself for the innkeeper to look after him and was willing to come back and check on him and see if any more help was needed. But he didn't know this man In fact, he recognised him as an enemy and yet he loved him and he acted on that love. Now, if we're going to be able to love our neighbours, we have to be able to identify them. And uh, that's why Jesus, I believe, told this story because he wants us to understand who our neighbour is. And basically, this parable teaches us that anyone, anyone, Our enemy, anyone's our neighbour. And so therefore, the principle is that love does not pass by anyone. Anyone who needs help, they're our neighbour and we need to give it to them. Who can we pass by? No one. Because everyone's our neighbour. Love doesn't pass by anyone in need. Yet we find reasons to pass by, don't we? I do. Perhaps it's fear. Perhaps we fear that if we get involved, it's going to take up too much of our lives or it's going to mess up our plans or it's just going to make things not the way we would like them to be. We like everything to be ordered. We like our homes to be ordered. And we don't want anything to mess that up. And so we get afraid that if we reach out, that could interrupt our lives. 
and we've got our lives planned and we don't want them to be interrupted. And so fear can stop us from loving our neighbour. Or even believing that person doesn't deserve it. I mean, after all, that man should have known better. That road was a bad road. Going it alone was just nonsense, really. He should have known better. So did he really deserve help when he really put himself into that dangerous situation? And so we can believe that. We can think people don't deserve it. I mean, you know, look at what they've done. They've put themselves in that situation. So why should I help them? Why should you go out on Saturday night, give up your sleep, when people have become, you know, have overindulged and put themselves in dangerous situations on the street in Newcastle. Why should, you know, that's their fault. They've put themselves there, so why should we go out and stand with them and and provide a safe haven for them? But that's what Jesus calls us to do. He doesn't cause us to say if they deserve it or not. In fact, we don't love people because they deserve it. We love people because God deserves it. And if God had passed us by, if God had passed by the undeserving, where would I be? But a lot of the time, I don't believe that we actually don't care. A lot of the time, I believe that busyness is a problem. Our lives are so full, we haven't got time. And so we pass by on the other side because we're, we're on our we're on our trajectory in what we're doing and we, we just have to keep going to do it and we haven't got time to stop. It's not because we don't want to. We do want to. We do actually care, but we haven't got time. I'm sure the priest and the Levite were both very busy in religious service and it could have well been that they just thought, if I, if I stop, I'm not going to be at the synagogue on time. I need to keep going. And maybe that was their whole motive. And even knowing that motive, we think, but what about that poor person? What about his need? Was the Samaritan busy? We don't know. They don't tell us if he was busy, if he's on his way to something. But we do know that regardless of his situation, regardless of the fact that the Jew was an enemy, regardless of where he was going and what time he had to be there, he stopped. And he gave support and love and care practically for that person. And he even checked back afterwards to make sure he was okay. Busy or not, the Samaritan had room in his life to help other people. Think about when we write on a page. When we have a blank page before us, we begin to write. We never start in the very top left-hand corner, right at the corner and write across and fill every aspect of the page unless of course we're taking notes in a message and um, we've sort of done our normal thing and we've run out of room then we might write around the edge of the pages just to get all the information down but mostly we leave borders don't we we leave margins so that they frame our writing and I think the same thing should be true of our lives we should leave room in our lives for the unplanned compassion that should frame and border our lives. Far too often, we don't act because we just don't have room. We think we're being efficient and effective, 
But we're not living in that interruptible space of ministry that Jesus so beautifully demonstrated in his physical life on earth. Keeping the margins of your life free for unplanned compassion requires discipline and purpose. You have to actually decide you're going to do that. You're actually going to have to decide that you'll go out today and register for street safe training so that you can give some time to people. You're going to have to actually take time to register for city serve because you're going to give some time. You're actually going to make a decision to give some time, to leave some time in your life to help other people. And you know, it's time for us to ask, who has God put in my way that I've missed because I'm too busy? I think that's why a daily quiet time is so important. Because if in the morning, during your quiet time, you ask God to show you how you might be a good Samaritan to others, you'll be amazed at the opportunities that come your way throughout the day. In fact, I'm going to ask the host team to hand out the, um, the cards for this week because that's the challenge. What I'm going to ask you to do is that every day in the, mor- in the morning that you pray and you ask God to show you who you could be a good Samaritan to that day. And I can promise you he will put people in your way. But have your eyes open because it may not be the, it may be the unexpected person. The person that you're not imagining is my neighbour, but actually is. And so I ask you, as you receive these cards, and I'll keep talking as they hand them out, that you would every morning, every day, pray and ask God, show me, God, who you want me to be a good Samaritan to today. And then just don't pray that prayer, but actually act on it. Because actually, you will have your eyes open where you might have missed it if you haven't prayed the prayer. And we're less likely to overlook the needs around us when we're busy, when we pray prayers like this. So this Samaritan might easily have overlooked the hated Jew on the other side of the road. He could have supposed he was dead anyway. He looked like he was dead. He could have rationalised that he was too busy and it wasn't his business like the others. In fact, he could have even reasoned, that man would not have helped me. Because he's a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. He could have reasoned that. But instead, he did none of those things. He looked need straight in the eye and he acted on it. Now, this is the important thing to note. He didn't just feel compassion. He showed compassion. And this man paid a price to show compassion. He took risk. He took a risk I mean, he'd have to go into Jewish territory to find an inn that would accept this man because no Samaritan inn would have accepted him. And so he was, he was risking his own safety in doing that. But love is a verb. It's an action word. It's a doing word. And if there's no action, there's no love. Love takes risks. Love will be inconvenienced. It puts the other person first. It doesn't just feel, it does something. And it pays whatever the price is for that. This can take simple but challenging forms. What's the price we have to pay? Tim Keller, I don't know if you've heard of him, he's he's an 
a preacher from New York, <clears throat> teacher. He tells when he was preaching a sermon on love your neighbor, and this is what he said in the sermon. I think God is saying, I want you to meet the needs of people with all of the joy, all of the eagerness, all of the ingenuity, creativity and industry with which you meet your own needs. That's an acid test. That's the standard. That's how I want you to live your life. After the service, a teenage girl came up to Tim Keller and said, Now, I've been in this competition with my best friend and she won and I came last. Are you trying to tell me that the Bible says I should be happy for her as much as I would have been for myself because she won and I came last? Are you telling me I should be excited for her? And Tim Keller said, you know, that's a pretty good application of the text. I wish I'd put that in the sermon. She looked at him and said, well, Christianity is ridiculous. Who lives like that? Loving our neighbour means that we are willing to put others' joy, others' happiness, others' celebration before our own. That we're willing to pay the price. And it doesn't simply mean throwing money at a situation. Particularly when it needs hands-on help. Imagine if the Samaritan... Now, he had compassion. He felt compassion for this man. He went to him. Imagine if he'd thrown down the two silver coins and said, there you go, you know, that will help you. That man couldn't get up. He couldn't... He would have just died on the road, two silver coins lying right before, beside him. But we can fall into the trap of buying ourselves out of true involvement by giving a few dollars rather than getting involved. Now, there is everything right, everything right about giving generously to people in need. That's, I'm not saying that's not a good thing and we need to do that. And God calls us to do that. That's an absolute But it's not the way to buy ourselves out of our responsibility. We must ask, am I giving a heart out of genuine love or am I just salving my conscience? So what do you think Jesus asks? Sorry, so what do you think Jesus asks? Which of these three became a neighbour to the man attacked by robbers? And the religious scholar who was having this conversation with Jesus said the one who treated him kindly. And Jesus responded, go and do the same. And these are the words that Jesus says to you and to me, go and do the same. There is nothing that says Christian more than the story of the Good Samaritan. There's nothing that speaks out more loudly about our Christianity than our acts of love and kindness towards whomever. People are moved by love, by acts of love and kindness. And you know, it's easy to become overwhelmed with the evil in the world, with the problems in the world. But you know, it's not our job to solve all of that. All we have to do is to do what we can do where we are at. And if we do what we can do in the circumstances and the neighbours that God brings to us, then the rest will take care of it if everybody does what God calls them to do. And to do that, we need to stay close to Christ, to hear him telling us, to hear him speaking to us. We need to keep the margins of our life open. 
to look for ways that we can become Christ to someone every day. And you know, if we lived the life of the Good Samaritan, loving others by showing kindness, keeping our, our margins, space, with space in our margins for those unplanned things that come across our lives, people will know that God is love. And people will know that God is alive because you and I go and do likewise. I read this quote from Tom Wright. It said, Every human being deserves to be treated as a human being. No church or Christian can remain content with easy definitions of neighbour which allow us to leave people lying half dead in the world. So what's our definition of neighbour? Who is my neighbour? We have the ability to change the world through love, love in action. Of course, we know the, the greatest example of all of this is Jesus. Jesus, after having... Well, first of all, he took on all the limitations of humanity for 30 years. And then he died the most humiliating death on the cross because he wanted to give us freedom, because he wanted to give us a way. He wanted to give us life in all its fullness, a chance at life. And so he did that. I think that's the greatest expression of love in action, don't you? He didn't have to do it. He chose to do it. And we love because he first loved us. Once we really begin to grasp what Jesus has done for us, love will just overflow us. It can't help but. When you respond to Jesus' heart of love, you can't hold back. And in Ephesians 5, 2, it says, Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. When we get what Christ has done, then love will fill the air that we breathe. So think about it. Who needs your love this morning? There'll be someone. Don't pass by. Make love an action word in your life. You see, the real issue here is not theology, but practice. Jesus didn't respond by saying, know this and you will live. He said, do this and you will live. So let's understand who our neighbour is and let's make love a verb. Let's act on it. The love that Jesus has demonstrated to us and puts in our heart, let's put it into action and we'll change the world. Let's pray. Dear God, our Father, we thank you because you loved us so perfectly. We thank you, Lord, because you made the way for us and you chose to do it. You put your life on the line for us because you love us. And it would have been easy not to do that. It would have been easy to say that's too hard, but you didn't. And we thank you for that, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that the love that you've shown to us, we can allow to flow through us to others. And it's just a natural response for us to reach out to whoever comes across our path, whoever has need, because we love them as you have loved us. And so I pray, Lord, you'll help us to grasp this message 
Help us to think about it, Lord. Help us to let it reflect on this. Take time so that there is space in our lives for what you call us to do. And that we don't try and find excuses, but rather we are honest with you and we respond to your heart. And we are your hands and feet in this world to make a difference. I thank you for every person here, God, who I know, Lord, is is reaching out to you and, and responding to your heart. And I pray, Lord, that together you can help us to understand this, that we can encourage one another in this walk. We can help one another. Sometimes it may take two of us to help, and I pray, God, that, that that encouragement from one another will help us to be the people that you've called us to be. I pray, God, that this will be a church that will throw parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning, the sort of church that loves people, doesn't just say we do, but we truly do. Help us to get beyond ourselves so that we can help others and that they will know your love through that God. I thank you that we don't do this alone, but we do it by your spirit. By your spirit, we can do above and beyond what we can ask or imagine. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.